Hey, this is Lou Mangello from WDW Radio, and you're listening to the Five-ish Fangirls Podcast. Let's do this. as we continue all the way to episode 335 of the five-ish fangirls podcast and we have got a lot of ground to cover thankfully we've got some help welcome everyone to this week's episode of the five-ish fangirls podcast so glad you could join us let's start off like we do right with the virtual table and see who's joined us this week this is Brittany and troy this is chrissy in salt lake city this is Holly from Wisconsin. And this is Rachel in Indianapolis, Indiana. Hello, everyone. Hello. Hello. Hey, everybody. Oh, my. So we've teased this, among other things. We've had several topics that we've had dangling like carrots <laughs> for quite a while. <laughs> and we, we, we run into this topic and we're like, dang it. Okay, we got to cover this. Yes. But, yes. Yeah. So, but uh, mm-hmm. with... With the House of Mouse getting ready to, you know, celebrate some major milestones in the next couple of years, we figured, eh, you know, now's as good a time as any mm-hmm. to look yeah. back uh, to what we have been calling the Eisner era. Uh, but uh, this, this is, we're going to have a lot to cover here. Uh, we're going to try to do as best we can. Um, that being said, uh, we decided that uh, we could use with some help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <A little bit>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. With this. Uh, so uh, joining us um, for the first time, and hopefully we don't scare them off, and not the last, uh, from the Caption Life podcast, welcome Sean and Kevin. Thank you. Yay! Hello. Thanks Excited for coming to be on. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, thanks for having us. Uh, so um, we will we'll give you a chance to plug yourselves at the end. <laughs> okay. But real quick, uh, give us the elevator pitch of your guys' show. Uh, Whoever wants to be <laughs> elevator yeah. pitch so- man. So our our podcast is uh, really about how comics and pop culture uh, intertwine with uh, life and reality, vice versa. So we we like to talk about the geeky things that we love, but we also like to talk about how like our society is reflected in comics, and then how the things that we love about comics are found in society. Yes, and you guys do number of interesting topics um obviously you know you cover you know some of the the big mainstream stuff like the marvel disney plus series Mm -hmm. and the like Mm -hmm. um but you also do like your favorite superhero hideouts or like you know yes bases of operation yeah and that that. that conversation (laughs) that conversation was a really fun one to have but it kind of like it kind of came out of like a, a kind of a dark and sad place where like you know we've been isolated for uh, a long time because of the pandemic and we decided yeah. that we wanted to talk about superhero hideouts because people are always retreating somewhere and 
Mm-hmm. Um, it was a fun conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We, we try to do a lot of like general topics or broader topics that anyone can really participate in. So even though we started off like with comics and interview people from comics as well, um, we always want to make sure that people can like participate in the conversation. So that's why we always try to do topics that, you know, people can like the casual fan can always, you know, chime in if they ever wanted to and, and do that. So we always want to make sure that we can appeal to a lot of different people, but yeah, we've had people who've been involved with comics industry. Um, we've had a cosplayers that's been on the show. Um, we've done like trivia episodes, things like that. So we do a little bit of everything and, and, um, just try to, you know, basically whatever, you know, interests us and what we want to talk about at the moment, but we also get people come on the show and kind of share their story as well, too. Yeah. Awesome. You, and you guys is, uh, uh, you guys have not been around that long, right? Yeah. We've been, we've been doing this for about two years and, and Kevin and I actually only met each other through Twitter when we started this podcast. So we never mm-hmm. actually met face to face until this past summer when we met up at Universal Studios in Orlando. <laughs> well that sounds like a familiar tale. I was right. gonna say that sounds quite similar. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um but yeah we, we started like two years ago. We did it like very casually. So we didn't have like a regular um release date. We just like, you know, whenever we got together, we would try to put something out. Um, and then last year with the pandemic happening, like obviously that kind of made it a little bit more scarce. So then this year we're like, we want to try to be a little bit more consistent. So we try to put something out uh, twice a month on the first and 15th. So, but yeah, we haven't been around too long and we've had a slow start going up, but this year has actually been a lot of fun. So. Slow is better than not at all. True. Indeed. Yep. So I'm impressed you guys actually got to meet each other within two years. It took five before i but well before i actually got to meet any of these ladies i've only met Brittany. yeah (laughs) but you know we're still working on getting us all at the same place at the same time so i guess it's easier when there's only two of you yeah well and ours was actually kind of by accident because we were i i think i text kevin i told him like hey we're going to universal like this uh like week in june or whatever he's like oh my gosh so are we (laughs) so so we didn't even plan it yeah (laughs) Uh, and then and then we ran to each other in slow motion like something you'd see out of a a romantic comedy uh, he he tackled me from behind that's what happened right 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 there in front of the whole crowd yeah (laughs) nice uh love it funny uh all right well we have you guys here because on top of being comic book fans uh you're also disney fans um very so, much so i've yeah. seen all the episodes of the wonderful world of disney nice <laughs> that might be a stretch but hey <laughs> right. it works there are there are some things you just have to brag about and that's one of them mm-hmm yeah, and and we're all of a similar age range, um, so that uh, I think we can all safely say that our childhoods uh, were directly influenced and or entertained by uh, something that Michael Eisner had his fingers in, you know, involved in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. So. 
and yeah. we I don't know about the rest of you, but when I, we would get the VHSs of the new Disney movie, it always felt like he was on the 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 the, the coming attractions introducing something, mm-hmm. like whether it was a park yeah. thing or or a new movie or you know Disney Channel. It just felt like oh, Michael Eisner is the Disney company sort of he's thing. the I face and that and the that's face a, of it that's exactly what they mm-hmm. were going for yeah <laughs> exactly time, so like I, I, yeah we we uh found some video interviews with him and i'm like oh okay i get it now because yeah why, why they did that but at the time it's like oh it's uncle mike and then yeah. later uh-huh. i found out oh gosh this is kind of a this is kind of insane yeah uh-huh. going on yeah that you don't think about when you're you know 10 and watching hercules yeah so um but before we get to eisner's tenure as the head of the walt disney company um i'm going to do a speed run history lesson here because we yeah we have a lot to cover and we can also cover this the walt history part of it in a later episode because we're also getting into like like I said, the Disney company is, is getting ready to hit a number of milestones. Well, Disney World's getting ready to celebrate its 50th. The company as a whole is going to be celebrating its 100th in a couple of years. Mm. So, yeah. So, um, we've got, uh, we, we, yeah. Oh, I guess we've coming got, up this got... year, it would be the 120th anniversary of Walt's birth. So, yeah, we can we can do a whole episode dedicated to Walt later, but with for some context, uh, I think we yeah, need we've... to do give a little bit of history of where the company, how it got to where it was, and why Eisner was brought in in the first place. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, so, um, like I said, the Disney Company. Uh, was founded in 1923, if you're part of the fan club, Club 23, there you go, um, by Walt and his brother Roy O. Disney um, as a small cartoon studio. It's gone through a number of names uh, before officially changing its name to the Walt Disney Company in 1986. Um, they start, it started as a small cartoon studio. Walt creates Oswald the Lucky Rabbit. They lose the rights to Oswald. <laughs> in the following year um, uh, because of uh, bad business dealings. Um, so Walt ends up creating Mickey Mouse. who makes his debut in Steamboat Willie um, in 1928. Um, the Disney wins their first Academy Award in 1932 in the short subject cartoon category. Uh, which was actually the first year for that card at category and would actually win that category every year for the rest of the decade. <laughs> um, in 1934, Walt begins the idea of producing a feature link film, which he was convinced would be successful. Um, people would call this project Disney's Folly as it went 400% over budget and required more than 300 animators, artists, and assistants. But in 1939, it would be released as the groundbreaking film Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Dwarfs. (laughs) Um, And that would go on to become the highest grossing film of all time up to that point. Um, So uh, with the help of proving that feature length cartoons can be successful, um, that helps the company expand 
uh, with those uh, that money and Walt eventually gets the idea for Disneyland, which ends up opening in Anaheim in 1955. Uh, 1961, the studio uh, for uh, presumably one of the first times per procures the film and merchandise rights to an outside IP, in this case, Winnie the Pooh. Um, Walt dies on December 15th, 1966. Um, by then, the uh, idea of what would become Walt Disney World is already underway, along with Walt's idea for a experimental city, utopian type thing was also in the works. Um, when Walt dies, his brother Roy O um, ends up taking over. Um, and Walt, with Walt Disney World opens October 1st, 1971, and Roy O dies just that same, that same year on December 20th. Um, uh, so with both Walt and Roy O gone, um, Don Tatum becomes chairman and CEO, Card Walker becomes president, and then Ron Miller, who was Walt's son-in-law, um, became head of studio productions. Um, Meanwhile, Roy's son, Roy E. Disney, um, is also part of the company and on the board. Um, and, <coughs> excuse me, by the late 70s, he was actually quite unhappy with the way that the studio and the company was being run and resigns. Um, and um, uh, because he has issues with the decline in overall product quality and issues with management. Um, uh, let's see, Card Walker replaces Don Tatum as chairman and Ron Miller replaces Walker as president in 1980. Um, 1981, uh, the Disney releases its first home video, first animated home video release with the release of Dumbo. Um, and uh, plans for a cable network are announced. Epcot opens in 1982 on October 1st. Um, also in 1982, Coke, the Coca-Cola company, uh, attempts to buy Disney unsuccessfully. <laughs> All yeah, these attempts of, of other companies buying Disney just, yeah. in hindsight, this they're is very the, by now, ironic. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, by no, here no, we're getting is. into the 80s and just yeah. like, the 80s were just weird for business <laughs> in general. <laughs> just like hostile takeovers were just a thing. Uh, mm -hmm. So uh, yeah. the Disney and, Channel. And a, well, and a lot of it too was, you know, think of kids entertainment in the 80s. Mm -hmm. Just how, I mean. Return to Oz, guys, which I mm -hmm. think is, it, it is a Disney released movie, right? Mm -hmm. But yeah, it just, it was a bit, you know, and then Don Bluth was, was doing his thing. After with, leaving Disney. After leaving Disney, mm -hmm. of course. So <laughs> under it's like. Less than, under less than yeah. a, a, happy, yeah. a, a happy circumstances. <laughs> yeah, it's just, you, you think of, I mean, when you think of Disney now, it's like, oh, happy we, we love each other, you know, M-I-C-K-E-Y, we're the Mouseketeers, we all love each other, but, you know, back then in the 80s, it was just, whew, kids entertainment was a little bit more gritty than you mm -hmm. 
than mm-hmm. you, you you would expect. Yeah. For 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 better or worse, I mean, there's some good stuff to come out of that, but yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a weird time. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, in 1983, the Disney Channel uh, launches, uh, be- becoming one of the fastest growing channels on cable. Uh, Ron Miller replaces Card Walker's CEO, and Raymond Watson replaces Walker's chairman. Tokyo Disneyland opens uh, April 15th of 83, becoming the first foreign Disney park. Um, and then in 1984, everything just kind of comes to head. At this point, the uh, studio had not had a successful movie (laughs) Um, since about the late 60s. Um, So uh, really the only only way that the the company was making money was from the theme parks by this point in the early 80s like 70 percent of the company's profits was coming from the theme parks ouch yeah so as far as you know the movies the tv shows the you know the any non-theme park related thing that we would equate with disney was kind of going down the crapper um which was part of the reason why roy e left they weren't even they weren't even using the movies to like to like feed IP into the theme park at the time. Like yeah. they were they really were more separate than they, they are now. Yeah. Yeah. Um so uh so yeah, by so night by nineteen eighty four things were just looking pretty bad. Um the Disney stock, which had hit a high in seventy three uh at 123 dollars uh had uh plunged uh so by 1984 it was just about 50 bucks which my goodness if i could go back in time <laughs> even then I would make 50 dollars a share absolutely i will take mm-hmm. some thank you um so um at this point, uh, Cardwalker had actually, quote unquote, retired actually a couple of years before, but he uh, giving his chief executive position to Ron Miller, he kept his office, he remained chairman of the board, and essentially threw his weight around blocking every innovation that Miller and all the other executives wanted to to try to you know, to inject some fresh ideas into the Disney company. Even something as simple as rising the price of parking at Disneyland, which at this point was still a dollar, that uh, Walker was just like, no, absolutely not. That sounds like the most un-Disney thing ever. Yes. Card Walker, you know, God love him. You know, he's, I mean, he's... You know, for some, he did some good things, but the man, he was just a stick in the mud uh, at this point. Um, You know, he, you know, one reason that at least the live action studio hadn't really had a hit since the love bug in 1968 um, is because Walker didn't believe in marketing and advertising. Oh, gosh. What? (laughs) Yes. Oh, how does that even work? 
I don't know. <laughs> well, he he uh, they they had a marketing budget, but it was not very large. And at this point, like other studios, you know, they were releasing movies like E.T. and Annie yeah. and Star Wars and stuff were spending like ten million dollars on marketing a movie. And Card Walker was just not having it. He was he had the same mindset that Walt had that any the only publicity worth the money was free and i'm going to be reading a lot of and quoting a lot from this book james stewart's disney war which is a huge book <laughs> but full of valuable information <laughs> so which just goes to show how complex this topic yes and just just the history of it really is i mean i mean you know thinking about that it's like I mean, we look at Star Wars just just as an example. You know, the, mm -hmm. the first Star Wars. Um, you know, it was. You know, the the merchandising was just such a huge, huge. That's where help. George Lucas made most of his money. That's where the money comes yeah. from. But it's like, okay, yeah, you're creating art. You're cre you're being creative. Your your you know your your creativity and your. I don't know artist integrity isn't worth isn't worth a damn if you don't if you can't pay the bills mm -hmm. or you can't pay the rent yeah. and the way you pay the bills is if people pay you for enjoying your art mm -hmm. so you know a little bit of marketing a little bit of merchandising will go a long way mm -hmm. just saying exactly I mean even Walt knew that I mean that was one of the things when when they um when he created Mickey Mouse and you know, any, any and all, I mean, all you got to do is look at just vintage Mickey Mouse stuff. And like Mickey, Mickey was yeah. on everything. Mickey watches, Mickey lunchboxes, Mickey yeah. t-shirts, posters, books. And he, he still is. I mean, I, I, there's several Disney groups I'm in where people are like, you know, look, I, you know, it's like Sunday morning, they're like, oh, look, I made waffles or pancakes for my kids and my waffle maker that's black and red and it's got the little buttons on it and makes mm -hmm. mickey shaped waffles you know? i just yeah. bought i just bought a little phone stand so my phone can 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 sit up that says Minnie mouse but it's just a pair of gloved hands it could be mickey it could mm -hmm. be Minnie. i don't know but it says <laughs> Minnie on it and i love it <laughs> i'll have to post a picture of it and it's kind of fun but mm -hmm. it's like yeah, it's it's these 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 ridiculous kitschy kind of things that you know are kind of cheap crap, but we love them, and someday they might not be cheap. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's crazy to me that they that they've always had this um, idea that they could operate on their reputation alone, like especially during this time period. Mm -hmm. Um. And there were a lot of other successful movie um, studios. But if you look at it compared to now, Disney is the biggest kid on the block, like by far. Oh, yeah. And, yes. and mm -hmm. they, the, the, perpetual, the perpetual nature of their franchises, whether or not it be Star Wars or Marvel or Pixar or um, just Disney animation, those things really could stand on their own. They, they honestly probably don't have to spend as much money on advertising as you'd think. And yet they do, they still spend yeah. more than everybody else. Um, but they, they reap more of the, the market share uh, as well. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, as, as much as we, we laugh and like to quote that scene from Spaceballs, <laughs> merchandising, there's that a lot is, to that. Yeah, and that, <laughs> is, yeah, that, that is hitting the nail on the head. That is, there, there is so much truth to that. The best, the best humor has truth to it. And mm-hmm. yeah, that's exactly yep. what, what they do. Yep. Yep. So, uh, so yeah so the 80s were not looking very good as far as the studios were were con- concerned mostly because card walker had his he really stuck his heels in with that um and so 1983 the studio only released three pictures which not a lot <laughs> no. No. i mean compared uh, to now when you're getting a Marvel movie every time you trip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's like we're still however many weeks from Labor Day weekend and I just bought my ticket for Shang-Chi today. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> they're having the, the red carpet yeah. premiere as we as we record this. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so. And I think that's I think that's what's interesting, though, is that now, you know, we have these companies you know like disney that owns star wars and marvel and pixar where it all funds falls under the umbrella but i mean i think in the 80s that wasn't a very common thing right so it's probably no. yeah. it wasn't too uncommon for a uh, distribution company to only have like a few movies out a year because that's all they could really handle yeah that year well right? and you know it wasn't like they were you know every other every other day they were saying oh hey we're buying this one and look at all of these <laughs> Yeah. look at all this content that we've just bought you know with star wars they're like oh here's all you know here are the movies here are the 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 animated shows here's this you know with marvel they even got you know the you know the 90s x-men and spider-man and and all these things that they didn't have to create someone already made that but they own it now they own the rights mm-hmm. to it so they can now distribute it whether it's through you know disney plus or well it's mostly disney plus now but you know if they wanted to put it out on dvd i guess they could or blu-ray but but also that's one of the things to remember about that time period is distribution was so key because um they didn't have a a super huge home video market yet Mm -hmm. like um vhs was in its infancy and there was no streaming um so movies played in theaters a lot longer than they do now like even yeah. oh, like yeah. pre pre covid standards like you know um star wars came out in the in the in may of 1977 and it was still probably the top film on the marquee at most movie theaters nearly a year later yeah mm-hmm. yeah though, though they they did last a lot longer because the only place you could see them and in the 80s i remember my dad telling me like you could go to like a, a movie rental place and rent a VHS so you could, you know, also rent the movie that you wanted to watch. It was mm-hmm. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yep. We did. rented we rented a copy of um Masters of the Universe from like our mm-hmm. local place and we also rented a VCR to watch it on. Yeah. Nice. So that was that was a thing. That was a thing, kiddos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and having a double check behind the the movie box to make sure somebody didn't slip a different title behind the main title you were looking for. Oh gosh, <laughs> they wouldn't get burned. <laughs> How many times mm. did that happen? <laughs> Ooh, at least twice to my More knowledge. We... I rented. 
like to think about. Yeah, that's why they started putting the stickers inside the, uh, uh, like inside the case, so you, the people who were checking out actually had to open it up and scan it and make mm-hmm. sure that it was in there. Yep. I used to work yeah. at Family Video, so like these are like the little things that I picked up on working there for like four months. <laughs> Inside yeah. information. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so anyway, distribution. Yes. <laughs> kind of a big issue. Uh, kind of important. <laughs> uh so yeah uh so uh while cardwalker is digging his heels in with uh the disney reputation uh ron miller who's in charge at this point still um has decided that uh to kind of sidestep that and creates touchstone pictures which would be a, a subsidiary of Disney and distribute, but for the purpose of less family-friendly movies, to put that <laughs> nicely. Um, <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, it, so the, the Disney moniker could still have the family-friendly, um, you know, releases but then touchstone could be the you know rated well i think pg-13 quite existed yet but will um but the pg or, yeah some of some of pushing pg-13 yeah i, I should remember, have been pg-13 i remember watching <laughs> look who's talking and that was a touchstone movie and yeah it was pg but it was not necessarily kid-friendly pg yeah but kids still watched it yeah yeah mm-hmm. so like their their first release and ended up being a huge hit and helped miller feel vindicated um was splash ah was yes what uh, tom hanks yeah. first tom hanks and daryl hannah films. yes so, oh it's a cute movie yep um and then touchstone touchstone would go would go on to release a lot of you know well-known movies you know the the touchstone (laughs) excuse me touchstone would go on to do uh be the the label that releases movies like adventures in babysitting and three men a baby and good morning vietnam and who framed roger rabbit and cocktail and the earnest movies (laughs) Ernest goes to camp Ernest saves christmas um dead poet society uh, Turner and Hooch again, Tom Hanks. Um, so, and that's just in the eighties. Uh, so that helped Miller feel vindicated, at least as far as, um, uh, you know, the Disney quote unquote Disney could release non-family friendly films and, and be successful. Um, probably, probably helped the bank account a little bit too. Yeah. Stock. <laughs> just mm-hmm. a little bit. The worst. Um, well, what uh, helped is, you didn't really know the Disney name was tied to it, right? Like they were successful yeah. because they could keep that squeaky clean image mm-hmm. <laughs> and make the money yeah. without, I mean, that's like, you know, same thing with like uh, Hulu, how Hulu has a lot of, you know, a- adult like content and everything, but that's owned by Disney. So it's yeah. like, that's mm-hmm. how they're keeping successful by keeping Disney squeaky clean, but they still rake in the money with some of the other markets that's out there. 
Yeah. Although what, what I what I find it ironic is, and this is kind of a, a little aside. So Splash, like you mentioned, it, you know, it was a Touchstone movie. It is on Disney Plus, but that that awful edit at the end where they try to hide uh, a, a glimpse oh, of, yeah. of, the, of the mermaids behind, and it just looks like she's wearing a a, a hair colored rug on her butt. <laughs> I'm like, that was a bad edit, guys. Just leave it. Like if you didn't want if you didn't want it on Squeaky Clean Disney Plus, put it on Hulu. Seriously. Mm-hmm. But that's yep. neither here nor there. Yep. Yep. Oh, <clears throat> excuse me. So even with uh, even with the Touchstone uh, doing fairly well, um, it was it was not enough. Um, there was a um, there were actually two at least that I could find attempts at takeovers. Um, so there was um, a guy named Saul Steinberg, who is essentially, he's just a finance guy. You know, he's just a guy who's made his fortune buying and selling businesses. Um, his uh, corporation, I guess, um, Reliance Group Holdings, is that a generic name or what? Um, launched, <laughs> yeah, launched a hostile takeover bid um, because Steinberg at the time owned more than 6% of Disney stock and planned to buy up to 25%, um, which would not give him a majority, but would be enough for him to have some leverage. Um, and his idea was, uh, his thought was, um, he would he was going to buy the company but then sell off parts of it and essentially break the company up um which that just that just kind of makes me nauseous just thinking about it actually because <laughs> <laughs> at this point like there were you know different divisions or whatever they have their own like name but they're all under the big disney umbrella everything all still funnels back to the same place um and to think that you know like you know the animation studio could have got sold off to you know somewhere else it's just like oh, kind of makes me want to cry and throw up at the same time <laughs> um so um they uh management was um uh they actually, that actually got stopped um, by um, Disney buying out his current stake. Um, uh, and then another shareholder filed suit claiming that the de that deal devalued Disney's stock, <laughs> which was like, at this point, it's already $50. I'm like, eh. um, mm -hmm. but... <laughs> Um, and it, I can't find anything that names who that shareholder was, but apparently they ended up settling that lawsuit in 1989 for $45 million. Wow. That got paid nine, by, uh, that, that, that was paid by Disney and Reliance. <laughs> um, also at the same time uh, in 1984 though, MCA, who was then the parent company of Universal Studios struck a a, I guess a verbal agreement with Disney to purchase the, the company um, on the condition that Miller B. 
become president of MCA, but apparently Miller and the MCA chairman, Lou Wasserman, and Disney, and they ended up having other disagreements. So that deal fell completely too. But I mean, it's like Disney almost bought my Universal. <laughs> Which is kind of hilarious given, uh, given the, the deal that they made years later to get Oswald back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Again, another story. Yeah. Um, so at this point, uh, every, even though Roy E. had resigned, he was still aware of everything going on. Um, and um, he and his business partner, Stanley Gold, uh, collaborated to remove Miller as CEO and president, uh, along with Ray Watson as chairman, um, and uh, brought in, uh, suggested Michael Eisner and Frank Wells, because he knew Michael Eisner from being on the board for the... I want to say it's Cal Arts, something like that. They knew, yeah, California Institute of the Arts, uh, which was the school founded and endowed by Walt and his brother, Roy O. Um, they were both on the board of that. So that's how Eisner got pulled into this because at this point, Eisner is actually working at Paramount. Um, and uh, Frank Wells is actually a lawyer and the head of Warner Brothers. Um, so... That's how Eisner and Wells got pulled into this. And when Eisner came over, he brought Jeffrey Katzenberg, who is our other main character in this, uh, at least for the first several years, who was working at uh, Paramount first as uh, the, uh, he was the assistant to um, uh, Barry Diller, who was the chairman at Paramount and uh, worked his way up to head of production at uh, Paramount and working so- essentially side by side with with Eisner. Um, so, and, you know, <laughs> read this book. It's like Katzenberg and Eisner's personalities could not be more different <laughs> i loved how you call them the main characters like, they are that's that such a soap opera it is it really is i mean because at this point like eisner he'd worked um he it, you know his background is way different than waltz which that's fine you know walt comes from the midwest you know Middle, essentially middle of nowhere Missouri I've been to Marceline now and yeah it kind of is in the middle of nowhere it's beautiful but it's in the middle of nowhere um you know uh you know very you know you know having to work you know really hard not having a lot of money um you know did, you know doing everything you know pulling himself up by his own bootstraps and that sort of thing um very humble beginnings. Eisner comes from a wealthy family, lived in New York City on a Park Avenue apartment, went to private schools, um, that that sort of thing. So their you know their backgrounds were very different, um, but uh, yeah, that doesn't necessarily matter. Um, but uh, like working at Paramount, even 
uh, at this point, Eisner is, he did like 10 years at Paramount. Um, it's not like he started working, you know, in, you know, the higher corporate gigs in the 70s. Um, so he hadn't, he'd been working long enough to establish somewhat of a reputation. And he had a, he had a reputation of being kind of hard to work with and being a cheapskate. <laughs> um, he really did not like to spend um, a lot of money um, if he could help it, um, if he knew that the return, you know, your the ROI, I guess, essentially, you know, he was more content with, um, you know, spending money on a good script for um, a film that had a good story and uh, a, a good plot and he called it uh, a strategy aimed at hitting singles and doubles rather than home runs yeah. um, for, for him the, for the, the quality of the story was all important not high-priced directors and stars for, for the non-business-minded among our listeners roi is return on investment mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah so you want to spend the money and actually get it back yeah is is what that means yeah i don't know sometimes i always have to think about that so i don't know how many people are aware of such things but yes so this is very much uh, michael eisner is very much a business guy he's not necessarily but there is some creativity there but he, he kind of relies on other people to be the creative minds behind it he's trying to get the company back you know it, you know being worth something and not just as a way to be you know someone else to come and buy it and and dismantle it piece by piece mm-hmm. and so yeah. that's that's why he was brought in basically yeah yeah he is very business-minded very meticulous unlike katzenberg katzenberg had actually in a um a huge like magazine spread in uh new york magazine an article that had been written about Eisner and Barry Diller while they were still at Paramount. Um, Katzenberg was actually given the moniker Diller and Eisner's Golden Retriever. (laughs) (laughs) And it stuck. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Because that's what Katzenberg was. Katzenberg was just like, what do you need, boss? What do you, what he, like, he got really good at anticipating Eisner's needs and finishing his sentences and just you know, he was Eisner's like shadow, whether Eisner wanted him, I think, to be or not. Um, so, but the personalities, I mean, they could not be any more different. But at that time, while they were paramount, it wasn't a big deal. Um, and um, well, you know, you, you need people like that because there's people who are the big brains of the operation, and then there are the people who are like, okay, we'll actually, you know, take care of the details and get this done. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, and that and that's who that's who Katzenberg uh, kind of. Uh, I mean, you had Walt and, Walt and his brother Roy kind of had that really yeah. to a degree. Walt had yeah. all the big ideas, and Roy O was like, "Okay, we got to figure out how to do this." Yes, it's like how so do we actually was, make I mean, this happen? How do we pay for it? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not I'm not drawing the parallel strictly between the the Disney brothers and 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 michael and, and uh, you know eisner and katzenberg but there are some parallels okay, yeah if, if you look for them 
Yep. Yeah. So, um, although Eisner was willing to take a financial risk every now and then, um, he uh, he it happened to uh, come across his desk um, the uh, script uh, for a a uh, project uh, that had kind of a, a larger estimated budget than he probably would have gone for, but two other studios had already passed on it because of those high projected costs. Um, and even Barry uh, Diller uh, opposed it on financial grounds, um, but Eisner decided to go ahead and uh, go for it. And uh, that movie ended up being Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've heard of that one. Yeah, a bit. I think we've all yeah, seen that maybe. one. <laughs> yeah. We might have done a podcast episode on it for yeah. somewhere <laughs> along the line. Yep. <laughs> it's it's crazy that Eisner went from um from being at Paramount where like he had big hits like Raiders of the Lost Ark to walking into Disney and like one of the first movies out the gate was the Black Cauldron. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, also, oh. also at a Paramount, I I found this out. They he was there when they were doing a Star Trek the motion picture, which was supposed to be a pilot oh, for wow. a new Star Trek series. And they said, Well, hey, let's make it into a theatrical movie. Very, very slow theatrical movie. Uh-huh. <laughs> so <Yes>. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that that happened. Yeah. Uh, So, uh, so yeah, so uh, it took some, there was still some things going on behind the scenes, but ultimately, as we know, Miller got the boot and uh, Eisner was brought in. Um, he would officially be chairman of the board and chief executive, and then Frank Wells would be president and the chief operating officer. Um, and actually, <laughs> the board decided on that, uh, made that decision on September 22nd, which was a Saturday. Eisner started that Monday on the 24th. Wow. <laughs> wow. Well. Abandoned ship. Uh, uh, glad to see he was eager and ready to start yeah yeah it, it makes you wonder like how long they've had that in the works though before they publicly announced that and he probably was already planning on moving that direction yeah there yeah. was there were it there oh, were true. talks there were talks actually back when splash was still in production mm-hmm. um so that would have been late 83 early 84 splash was released that march of 84 so um but uh and uh, how everything played out actually will depend on whose biography you decide to read uh (laughs) so uh eisner says one thing in his autobiography ron miller states that that account is fiction um and the uh, yeah. <laughs> so, but anyway, at the he end said, of the day, he said, yeah, at the end of the day, it, it doesn't really yeah. matter because Eisner was hired and started two days later. 
So, um, and it hits the ground running, essentially. Um, so, um, yeah, so 19, so September 24th, 1984, Eisner has his starts, you know, his first day. Um, and, um, you know, by this point, uh, Touchstone had released Splash earlier that year and it proven successful. So they decided, hey, you know, we, we, we may have something here, so let's go with it. Um, and um, so, uh, you know, Touchstone continues. And like, you know, like I said, there's uh, uh, movies like Down and Out in Beverly Hills and, uh, you know, Ernest Goes to Camp, Adventures of Babysitting would come out, you know, all those movies came out before 1990. Um, and um, not long um, after that in, um, in 85, they decide to go ahead and use Touchstone also uh, create a division of Touchstone Television um, to also <laughs> uh, keep their, uh, to kind of get Disney back on TV, on mainstream TV, because obviously we had the Disney Channel, which is on cable, but Disney had not really had a presence on network TV for quite a while. Um, so they established Touchstone Television to produce TV programs for network TV. And again, I think they did pretty well. Um, with uh, one of their first hits being The Golden Girls, which I'm currently watching <laughs> on Hulu mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and enjoying immensely. <laughs> Yay! Oh, yeah. You can't um, not love The Golden Girls. Yes. <laughs> Indeed. Um, uh, so, yeah, uh, The Golden Girls and its pseudo spinoff, Empty Nest. Uh, <laughs> Ooh, I remember that one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. which which <laughs> my, my favorite from '88 to '95. So empty yeah. nest. <laughs> yeah. Um, the '90s is really kind of where it, the the t yeah, the Touchstone TV really took off with. Oh yeah. Uh, things like uh, Blossom and Home Improvement. Uh -huh. Oh gosh, and... Home Improvement. That was, <laughs> yeah. That was. That was world. I think so, Tim. Yeah. <laughs> Home improvement was mandatory viewing in our in our house. Yeah. That scene here, that in Full House. <laughs> yeah, I, I grew up listening or watching that like my whole childhood. It's it's like one of the cornerstones of my childhood too. Mhm. Mm yeah, because I can remember for Father's Day one year, one of the merchandising things from Home Improvement was a T-shirt, and it said. When all else fails, read the destructions. And I got that for a gay gift for my dad for Father's Day one year. He loved it. <laughs> yep. I think I went as Tim Taylor for Halloween one year, actually, if I remember correctly. Oh, nice. Nice. Yeah. Which, I mean, which wasn't hard, right? It was just jeans, a mm -hmm. uh, jean shirt, and a tool belt. And that was pretty much it. And everybody knew who you were because, like, that was the yeah. only, you know, tool person that, anybody knew in the 90s yeah. except, for, except for bob selling bob vila short yeah, I was yeah, say, yeah. Bob, bob vila was was still hanging around but yeah most people knew Tim yeah but Taylor. he was he was cable though so like he was yeah. 
I mean, he was yeah. like, you know, he was big in the do-it-yourself, like home builder mm-hmm. type of things. But Tim Taylor like a, was more like blow it up yourself. Right. Yep. <laughs> he was more like identifiable in the pop culture things. Like, I, I, I think Bob Vila was that person until Home Improvement came around. Mm-hmm. Very it's, fun, it's funny that you dressed as him in, um, <laughs> in like junior high. Coincidentally, like I look a lot like Al Borland now. So <laughs> if I put on a red, if I put on a red flannel shirt. I think we have our Halloween costume planned for this year. Yeah. Next time you guys are in a con, you should you should cosplay. Yes. There was a guy. There was a guy at PopCon who uh, was dressed as Wilson, like carrying mm-hmm. the oh, nice. carrying <laughs> around a piece of fence. fence. Yeah, it was pretty great. Awesome. It is pretty cool. Now, my favorite part of the series finale of that show is when they all come out to do their final bow and the actor who played Wilson was still holding a piece of the fence <laughs> in front of his face. You yeah. never saw his face, even when the show ended. I, I think in the final episode they did when they took down the fence. Mm-hmm. Oh, did they? I yes. know. It's yes. been a while since I've watched it. I'm going to have to... I just remember when they came out for their bows, it's like... You're still yeah, wearing the fence. Yeah, and I think he still did. I think you're right, and I think they intentionally did that because they wanted the reveal to be that because I think they did the bow like at the beginning of the yeah. production or something like that. But yeah, they I think they kept that because they wanted the face reveal to be a big deal for the live mm-hmm. audience for that. But yeah, in the very last episode, I think it was like the very last scene actually. That's when yeah. it happened. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, I mean, not to get sidetracked too much, but apparently Wilson is based on an actual neighbor that tim allen had growing up where he would actually talk to his neighbor as a kid and he only saw the top of his face because of the fence so it's like based <laughs> on the actual experience he had when he was a kid cool. i believe it yeah <laughs> yeah let's say i remember some of those fences fences when i was a kid yeah i can just picture only seeing top of adult heads Anyway, we'll have to do an episode on home improvement, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Free Chauncey in for that. Ooh, cool. He's watched it all several times, just like the Andy Griffith show. But anyway. Okay, so back, so, back to what we were talking about. Yeah. <laughs> so touchstone, the touchstone side, the more, you know, not you know, Mickey Mouse uh not, no, not type kiddies. fair yeah um not is for the kiddies, obviously doing well uh but the animation side is uh, just looking really sad <laughs> um and uh and, and actually um uh eisner uh actually considered shuttering the feature animation and outsourcing it Oof. um but thankfully, Roy E. Came, had come back and was back on the board. Um, uh, he was able. He came back in when when Eisner was hired and stepped in. And he was like, "No, you know, this is what this company was built on. Absolutely not." Um, and um, so um, he offered to head the feature animation division and try to turn it around. Um, in the meantime, they established the Walt Disney Picture Television Animation Group to produce lower cost animation for television. And that's where we got shows like The Gummy Bears. 
<laughs> I love the gummy bears. I don't care what anyone says. I remember the theme song, but I don't really remember much of the show. I don't think I've ever seen it. <laughs> I don't think oh, I have. The, 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 I've seen the, clips, but I've never seen it. The theme song is like the worst earworm you will ever have, mm-hmm. and it, it is glorious. Yeah, <laughs> but no, it was it was a fun one. Like you know, it was on. Mm-hmm. I can't remember if it was on Saturday morning or or. or yeah, I think it after. was. Okay, yeah, because it's just it's just one that I would like. We I would see it and. It's like, oh, I'm gonna sit down and watch this. So I can't remember if it was ever, if I ever saw, like, regularly sat down to watch it, but it was just odd. And they were, because I also like Care Bears, and it's like this is Disney's mm-hmm. version of the Care Bears. Yes. Okay, let's go with it. <laughs> but with a touch of the Smurfs tossed yes. in the boot. <laughs> yes. So it's just, it's just one of those things, like, you know, and it's same with like many adventures of Winnie the Pooh. So it was like it, mm-hmm. those for some reason in the in my mind those are connected. So I wonder if like one came after the other. That could was... be. Well, and then at two, I know Disney Channel. After they took them off the main syndication, they put them on the Disney Channel. I think they mm-hmm. aired them back to back. Yeah. Oh, talk about the good old days of the Disney Channel. Oh, my goodness. Yes. <laughs> I think that's what Flying have. Circus. DuckTales, Rescue Rangers, yeah. Darkwing Duck, Tailspin. Yeah. yeah, but it all started with, with gummy bears. Yes. <laughs> and their gummy, be- gummy berry juice. When they, when that juice came out, oh, boy. <laughs> they, they could put Tigger through his paces. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Tigger on gummy berry juice. Oh, I, I want that crossover now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. My. They'd send him to the moon. <laughs> yep. I just envision him like Tyrone like uh Tyrone Biggums, like uh Dave Chappelle's character. He's like, You guys got any more of that juice? <laughs> <laughs> and rabbit going like, Don't give him anymore. Right. <laughs> Now, now those shows weren't exclusive on Disney Channel though, right? Because no, I no, remember... no. They were like they were on like Saturday morning, like on, on right. uh it might have might have been ABC. This was before Disney and ABC like Disney bought ABC or anything like that. But yeah. Right. I, I do rem- I feel like it was ABC or at least our ABC affiliate. Yeah, they, they that had sounds it. right. Yeah. yeah. Well and Disney's always had like some sort of stake in ABC since the uh 50s because that's how mm-hmm. walt got in front of like abc um you know saturday nights to promote yeah. disneyland yeah well eisner so. used to work at abc oh yeah as yeah, well right. so yeah yeah i mean yeah. There, there was some connection with nbc for a while with walt but yeah a- abc was kind of it's kind of been the the partnership for disney even before disney bottom so right. yeah it just it just always seemed to go together yep Yep. Yeah, because I remember watching those shows. I think it was on ABC when growing up. It was it was always like mm-hmm. Saturday, or um, I, I thought I think I saw weekday afternoons, and then they played that, it again yeah. Saturday morning. Yeah, yeah. I, out here with the with the time zones the way they are, uh, oh, yeah. the the afternoon stuff actually started when we were getting out of school. Right. So I got to see like the latter half of of Disney afternoon, and it was Saturday morning that I I that I saw a lot of this stuff because uh-huh. you know saturday morning heck yes <laughs> you mean you didn't get the handheld tv that you could have watched on the bus with the you know two-inch screen that's in 
black and gray and <laughs> oh did you did you all not have that oh i had that when i was a kid well lucky <laughs> you it was it was the, probably the oddest thing i had as a kid was and i can't remember why other than like there was probably some show i wanted to watch while we're driving and so it was literally like a handheld thing the screen was not very large at all but it had a huge antenna and i could watch like all the local channels in real time then. so you had you had you had the ipad before the ipad was a thing i i had the first streaming service back in the 90s nice. wow. all, all analog and everything yeah wow the closest i is... had was a handheld radio that i could plug a pair of headphones in and i could actually get the audio signal from my local uh, tv station so i could at yeah. least listen to what was going on and then try to mentally picture in my mind. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Nice. So this is how that happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, uh, animation, um, the, obviously the, the black cauldron which we've done uh <laughs> yeah go, go back and listen to our episode on that yes yeah we, we talked extensively yeah um so they ended up moving the animation division from the studio lot in burbank to uh, a location about two miles east in glendale um and then uh not long after their computer graphics group would also move out there too. <laughs> um, uh, so once they got settled in there, they worked on their first feature animation, which would be the Great Mouse Detective. Okay, I've got to stop like gasping every time we have one of these. <laughs> like we said at the beginning, this 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 era of Disney kind of coincides with you know, a lot of our childhoods, but every time mm-hmm. we mention one, I'm like, I love that one! And then yeah. go into a mini-review, we'll be Told here all night me. if I don't do that. <laughs> yeah. Which it did decently enough that the other executives were like, okay, maybe this animation thing isn't a, you know, isn't a dead duck anyway. Although, um, later that year, uh, Amblin and Universal would release An American Tell, which was a Don Bluth film, which was yep. one of Bluth's first films he did after leaving Disney. So, <laughs> with the backing yeah. of Steven Spielberg and holy crap. Yeah, so Amblin Entertainment also happens to be Steven Spielberg's yes. production and they company. Had a nice so. little merchandising yep. line, too. <laughs> yep. Because I can remember from Christmas that year, I did get the stuffed Fievel with the big, big poofy. Yeah. <laughs> Yes. And of course, me being a yeah, dumb kid didn't know the difference. Huge one. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. There's a there's video of a, a trip that we took to to Disney um, in the early '90s, um, and we're we're standing on the the railroad station at the at Main Street, and like the the band is out there playing music, and I don't remember it, what it was, what song they were playing, but in my uh, dumb little head. I thought it was uh, uh, somewhere out there. Somewhere out there. <laughs> I was like, oh, five hole. And I was like, like now I'm like, you dummy, that's not a Disney movie. Oh, man. <laughs> if, if Mr. Eisner had been standing there, he'd probably want to be like, no, child. Yeah, probably. <laughs> hey, in my mind, all animation was Disney. Yeah. I didn't know any better. Yep. <laughs> 
I feel like um, most kids all ages, that's kind of how most of us felt. Like, yeah. If it was animated when we were kids. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so also at this point, Katz, Jeffrey Katzenberg had actually gone to kind of head, help head animation and, and help. Um, and so, yeah, let the golden retriever loose in the animation division and you know, animated <laughs> feature division. And what do you get? You get the decision between Katzenberg and Roy E to increase staffing and production so that they could do a new animated feature release every year instead of every two to four years. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, one of the first releases with this new kind of mindset was actually uh, kind of a Katzenberg idea, Oliver and Company. Oh, yes. Um, so he had he had the idea to bring in a group of big name singer songwriters, each of whom would contribute a song. Uh, so people like Billy Joel, Barry Manilow, Huey Lewis, um, but his friend, a close friend of his, uh, who would end up becoming kind of his business partner, David Geffen, who worked in the um, music industry, um, suggested they he, they bring in uh, lyricist Howard Ashman. Um, and then later Geffen also recommended bringing in composer Alan Menken, which uh-huh. that's a match made in heaven. They did not know that yeah. at that point, but bringing nope. those two together. <laughs> Angel started singing. Yeah. Uh-huh. Shiny awards started <laughs> twinkling in the sky. <laughs> the, yeah, the, 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 the cash register started going cha-ching, cha-ching, yeah. cha-ching. Yeah, I mean, Ashman and Mankin had already worked together because they had done, worked on uh, Little Shop of Horrors. Which um, is an amazing play slash movie. Go see it. Yeah, uh-huh. which, which Geffen actually produced off-Broadway. Um, so that, that, that's how those connections worked. So yeah, Ashman and Mankin were already successful pairing on the stage, but in movies, oh baby, what we're going to get. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, so Oliver and Company and um, uh, Oliver and Company happened to open in theaters the same day as another Bluth Amblin Universal feature in the Land Before Time, but Oliver outgrossed Land Before Time in the U.S. and went on, went on to become the most successful animated feature in the U.S. to that date. So, yeah. Um, so we get the ball, got the ball rolling there, and um, with that, uh, they start on their next animated production, a little movie called The Little Mermaid. Yeah. <laughs> and it turned out there was nothing little about it. <laughs> yeah. And, and again, I mean, we, they kind of said this a few years ago with Frozen, is realizing that Disney's biggest strength is fairy tales, folk tales, uh-huh. you, know, yep. and, you know, and add the musical aspect to it. And holy cow, you've got a gold mine. Yep. Uh, and, and, and again, it goes back to it's marketable. There's a good story, good characters. The songs are catchy. Mm-hmm. I mean, whew. Yeah. And it's like, it's that formula that, 
that it just it just works for for Disney. That's their that's their bread and butter. Yeah, and, talk, talking animals or singing princesses. Mm-hmm. That will get the butts in the seats. And and mm-hmm. don't forget don't forget dead parents. Oh, that's well, what I was gonna say. Yeah. 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 They never bring up the mother, but it's a, you know it's obviously implied. But yeah. 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 But which does everybody know the the theory as to why there's always a dead parent? I don't know. It's, it's an emotional connection. <laughs> well, so. <laughs> So there, and I think this is probably based in some truth, but I don't know how to verify this, but I, I would probably venture it's probably true. But when uh, Walt Disney got, uh, you know, f- um, successful with this company, he bought a new house for his parents out in California for them to move and live with him. Um, but what happened is a couple months later, that house caught on fire and, the, and his mother died in that fire. And oh. he felt like really guilty from that because he was the one that bought them the house and everything. And so there's a um, story out there. And again, I don't know if it's true or not, but I think there's a story that said um, that said, like, you know, that's one of the reasons why he always has like a, a parent dead is in the in the movies is because it's kind of like his way of like coping with it or something like that. So interesting. Yeah, I've with, never heard that story. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but that yeah. only makes sense up to 1966. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I, yeah, because it, it it's that a tradition story. at that point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just I'd arbitrarily killing parents after that. I'd, I'd heard the story about you know his parents and the fire, but I didn't know that there was there was that supposedly that connection. So mm-hmm. who knows, yeah. urban legend or fact? Yeah. Well, and, and what I think there was. Yeah, I'm not going to go down that road, but I, I feel like there was another movie, and I can't remember what it was, but I think the uh, his daughter watched like one of the movies that he he made, and she was like, "Oh, please, I don't want that person to to die," and like was like begging him, begging him, and, and Walt, I guess, was just like, "No, they're still going to die." <laughs> <laughs> but later, I'll make Mary Poppins for you, dear, and it will be okay. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I have to look that up. I can't remember which movie it was, but I remember reading about that. I was just like, man, Walt is cold. <laughs> Emotions sell. <laughs> they really yep. Make them cry. Make them cry. Feel sell. Well, you know, like Disney movies are notoriously short. Like if you look back to 1939, when, um, when Snow White came out, the two, 1939 was like a huge hallmark for filmmaking because the other two huge movies from that year were Gone with the Wind and Wizard of Oz. Mm-hmm. And the running time for um, for uh, Snow White is like 78, 80 minutes. So yeah. you, so you, you've got to like, you've got to pack a wall of, you know, in, the, in that short runtime, I guess, to establish like the, the emotional mm-hmm. motivation for your character. It seems like because the movie is so short, like, like you, you've, you've got to kill somebody fairly early on. Yeah. It, it's to... a, oh yeah it, it's a shorthand for you better feel something whereas if you you know block out an afternoon to watch gone with the wind stock up on the tissues because dang or you know a baseball bat to bend out some frustrations about miss scarlet <laughs> anyway but yeah you're you're right there's there's it's yeah the, the runtime is uh, yeah you got you got to pack the emotions in there quite a bit yeah like i mean what is it like if you look back they 
I guess I guess from a, from a ch- my childhood, like Bambi's mother, would be like would be a, a glaring example of mm-hmm. like when Roy was actually around. But as like as hard as Bambi's mother is to 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 watch um, or you know I guess to experience as a kid, the first um, the first ten minutes of the movie Up, like just mm-hmm. like there's man, there's just not really much to com- compare it to. Like it's a gut no. punch. Well, that one, I mean you actually watch the characters like grow old together and, and you, you see the, the, the emotions in there. But whereas a movie like little mermaid where her mom's just not there, it's just not really remarked upon or, or anything like that. Um, so it, it's, it, it's a little different, but the, the, the principle remains the same. It's mm-hmm. is yeah. The, the, you know, there's, there's an emotional, there's a shorthand for it. And you know, whether or not we, we realize that as kids, I in it. It's only been until I, I, you know, I've grown up and rewatched the movie, and it's just like, oh yeah, she doesn't have a mom, so she's might be just be acting out a little bit, or I don't know. <laughs> but it's something to think about. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, sidestepping here for a moment, we'll come back to the feature movies, um, but at the same time, again. Uh, looking for ways to uh, make some money with the film side of things. Um, A young executive who also came for Paramount named Bill Mechanic, um, who came over with Eisner and and Katzenberg, um, had hopes to become a movie producer. Instead, he got put in charge of home video, which at this point wasn't really much of anything as... I mentioned they had released uh, Dumbo in 81 uh, for home home video release, uh, but they, it wasn't really a thing that they were really doing other than rentals because that's what people were doing. Um, there, there really wasn't a market for selling videotapes because they were expensive and most people rented them. Uh-huh. Um, so selling any of the older Disney movies uh, seem kind of like a dumb idea Um, because if people bought the movies, would they come to the theaters when they decide to release them (laughs) every seven years? Uh, (laughs) um, Oh, gosh. Yeah. Uh, Years later, remakes. Yeah, Yeah, the idea Uh was the films might lose their aura of exclusivity and seem like any other movie. Uh, so Roy was opposed to the idea, and so was Katzenberg. Um, uh, Wells uh, Wells conceded that quote: "There are overwhelming reasons not to do this, but it's important to have the debate." <laughs> um, so they, dis- <laughs> they decided on a compromise. They would offer Pinocchio for sale on video for seventy nine ninety five. Oi! Oh my goodness! Uh, they, they put it at such a high price because then almost no one besides video rental outlets could offer to buy it. Um, this would force the viewers to rent copies and sales would be confined to a limited period at which the point the title could be retired and go back into the Disney vault. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were modest sales. <laughs> so uh, later that year, 
mechanic decided to experiment by slashing the price to $29.95 and relaunching Pinocchio with a marketing campaign that included network TV ads. Uh, he ended up spending over $7 million, which I'm sure made Cardwalker <laughs> lose a little bit of sleep. Uh, but it sold out all of its 1.7 million units. Oh goodness! So, so they underestimated people's desire to uh, to to own these things rather than rent them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, mechanic went and asked to have Cinderella released, which was to be that year's Christmas re-release in theaters. Um, again, Katzenberg and Roy vetoed the idea. Mechanic went to Eisner and Wells and uh, again agreed that it needed to be debated. Um, and they, the debate was emotional issues and economic issues. <laughs> um, so, uh, so Roy still wouldn't budge, but ag again agreed to compromise. Sleeping Beauty. Mechanic doubled the ad budget, sold 3 million units. Uh, the, the funny thing about Sleeping Beauty is that ever since then, it's been regarded as like, oh, it's, you know, one of the most distinguished, you know, animated Disney movies ever. At the time when it was released in, was it 19, 1950? I'm blanking. I know it was the 50s. Yeah. yeah. It was a flop. Like, nobody liked it. Nobody went to see it. Mm -hmm. But now it's like, oh, Sleeping Beauty, it's a classic. Uh, and it's, you know, because people watched it on video at home. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so uh, they expanded their distribution as far as sales to places like Walmart and places like that. Um, and they did end up releasing Cinderella. Cinderella sold 6 million units with revenues of $180 million on top of the 34 million it earned in the theatrical re-release. So home video sales quickly became one of Disney's biggest profit centers apart from the theme parks. <laughs> Uh, operating income, uh, Disney jumped from less than $300 million when Eisner and Wells took uh, over to nearly $800 million by 1987. Wow. Yep. Mm -hmm. So then when The Little Mermaid opened in 1989 and grossed $110 million in the U.S. and $220 million worldwide, uh, they knew they were onto something. <laughs> Just a little bit. Yep. <laughs> You know, a little something, something. Yeah, and that doesn't surprise me because if you think about it, that's like the first time that we really see like the nostalgic era really take hold in in that sort of economy. Because before then, like you know, there wasn't a way for people for adults to like relive their childhood mm -hmm. in that same sort of way. So like when these videotapes came out and the classics were being released. Like, I, I remember, like, I would watch these movies with my parents, my mom telling me, you know, how she watched this in theaters and everything like that. And so it was kind of like that first introduction to, you know, bringing the nostalgia. So that way you not just have the kids, but you also have the adults who are using that as a way to, you know, relive their childhood in a way, too. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, I, I remember one one year for my birthday. Uh, well, me and my sister, our birthday is really close together. So, like, she got 
Robin Hood on on video, I got Jungle Book, and my mom was so excited because this was these were movies she liked when she was a kid, and she wanted to share it with us. And you know, and they quickly became some of our favorites too. So it's like they were fine. Yeah, like you said, they're finally able to tap into that whole nostalgic thing where it's like you know don't just see yeah it'd be cool to see this in the theaters but here I can show it to my kids you know whenever I want on my own terms when we can and we don't have to leave the house or you know when you because when you've got young kids leaving the house is you know whether even it even when it's not a pandemic it's it's tricky (laughs) so so yeah so it's like that's that's what they 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 glommed onto kind of by accident it sounds like almost yeah uh so uh but with the success of the little mermaid that just spurred on katzenberg's golden retrieverness uh (laughs) (laughs) um and uh while he would still praise the animators for their their hard work um he also very quickly developed the man the mantra of bigger better faster cheaper which you know if you've ever worked in anything you always know that you can't get all of those you have to drop one of them uh-huh. <laughs> it's, can you like a done? cosplay cosplay you want it cheap you want it accurate you want it fast right you have it done well or done cheaply you cannot yes. have both have both yes. <laughs> exactly one of those is going to get dropped <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so ap- apparently while well, katzenberg was you know like you know beating the drum of <laughs> you know work 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 that roy actually ended up becoming the uh the go-to person for the animators when they had they wanted to vent i guess mm-hmm. uh about uh katzenberg um and apparently they ended up resulting in having to use code names <laughs> when they <laughs> when talking with each other <laughs> oh gosh uh, so roy became the godfather mm-hmm. <laughs> eisner was dad and katzenberg was mom <laughs> okay no i totally i totally thought katzenberg would have been like spot or something with that whole retriever <laughs> yeah. thing yeah <laughs> uh so but oh, you know it's uh you know for for better or worse you know god love the animators for for toiling away but mm-hmm. in the the 27 of the first 33 films under the eisner wells katzenberg uh helm had been profitable including 19 in a row wow because I mean, you had the Little Mermaid, and then uh-huh. the Rescuers Down Under, uh-huh. um, and then Beauty and the Beast, which kind of just killed everything, becoming the first <laughs> fe- animated feature film to be nominated for Best Picture at the Academy Awards. To the dismay yep. of the Academy, which, yeah, you know, later led to. We're going to give the animated films its own category. Mm-hmm. And the first touch of CGI with that incredible ballroom scene. Oh, yeah. 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 But it did Which, win mm-hmm. Best Picture in the Gold Globes. So, yes. Yeah. And then, of course, Best Original Score, Best Original Song. Again, Howard Ashman. 
Alan Menken. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, you know, we just went on this tear of Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, The Lion King, Pocahontas, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, which we, we've covered Pocahontas and that Hunchback, while they weren't as successful as Beauty and Lion King and Little Mermaid, they were still decent. Mm -hmm. Hercules, Mulan, which we've covered as well. You can all go listen to those episodes. And Tarzan, which that Tarzan was kind of the end of the Renaissance mm -hmm. in 99. A lot of people considered that the end of the Disney Renaissance, at least as far as animated films are concerned. Um, but that, I mean, that's a tear of yes. really successful, you know, <laughs> you know, and they were doing pretty good with TV animation and even some spinoffs, um, some theatrical spinoffs like DuckTales the movie. Um, so um, Which then, that one was supposed to spawn its own. Uh, I don't want to say it was a studio. It was supposed to be movie tunes, but for some reason, it never really. Yeah. Got off, got yeah. off and, a, and a lot of those animated features ended up getting their own TV series like The Little Mermaid and Hercules mm -hmm. and, Aladdin you know, did Aladdin and yep. so yeah mm -hmm. yeah so doing, doing, doing pretty good there as far as animated features once once they got into it they were uh, doing a doing doing pretty good so um they they did you know try to diversify a little um uh, with films like the nightmare before christmas um which obviously was stop motion instead of hand-drawn animation yeah, that one was released under touchstone yeah originally yeah but tim burton had been an animator at disney mm -hmm. yeah um so yeah yeah so you know the did that we had the Disney Renaissance, the animation Renaissance. Unfortunately, um, it, it did die off there, close to the end of yeah the 1990s, um, and um, un, for better or worse, or you know, I guess depending on who you ask, um, that uh, the tensions between um, Katzenberg and Eisner and Roy were becoming more and more tense. Um, and um, yeah, uh, Katzenberg was under the impression that Roy didn't like him. Um, and uh, he actually flat out asked uh, his, uh, he was on a flight uh, with his uh, deputy in animation thomas uh, schumacher um and just turned and looked at him and he's like why doesn't roy like me <laughs> and schumacher was like he was like, I, he was like he didn't know what to say because he knew that neither roy nor most of the animators like cats <laughs> like, do you really want me to tell you the truth well he actually did he said you dominate you showboat you take all the credit mm -hmm. um so I, I think that this period of time really is a hallmark of, of like, you know, the company was so successful because um, because Walt, like in, in the beginning, Walt was the driving creative factor and he was the producer and he was so important. I think Katzenberg viewed himself as 
as somebody that was important like that. Mm-hmm. But but really the product that they were turning out was was because of the was because of the hard work put in by the the animation teams and the production teams on those films and not necessarily anything he did. He just got to reap the rewards. And oh. and let's not forget he he tried to cut part of your world out of the Little Mermaid. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So he was like his the success of the company like his success was a byproduct of the the rest of the company's success mm-hmm. and he parlayed that yeah. into other into other ventures but it you know Disney at the time that renaissance isn't I don't I don't think in any way shape or form can really just be credited to Jeffrey Katzenberg no it was no. a group effort not mm-hmm. a solo yeah. effort yeah. and it, it well and it was also a combination of you know right place right time right people um mm-hmm. you know as far as I mean, because a lot of it too would have, I mean, I, I honestly contribute some of it, not all of it, some of it to the success of Don Blue's films because the, uh, because American Tale and Land Before Time gave Disney a run for their money. Uh, because, you know, they were, like, like, like we mentioned earlier, they were on the verge of dismantling the, the animation studios at, at Disney or just, or just ending it, which is, horrible to think about seeing you know what walt and, and company did for animation and you know what what it brought about and then you see you know this this guy who left the company and went on to do something super successful and you know, even outperforming the disney um disney releases at the time it was kind of a wake-up call to him i think it was sort of like oh well you know we can either just shutter it and 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 give up give it up or maybe we could actually tap into some of this because people still want good animated movies so like why i mean i don't know if this conversation was ever had but i kind of feel like something like that must have been must have been talked about because of of how well those those two movies did and that they're still a part of sort of the 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 pop culture conscience Mm -hmm. consciousness right now so yeah i think don bluth did a lot for disney probably not in the way he would have wanted but i mean i think what you're i think you're talking about is absolutely true because competition breeds innovation um i think i think if you look back 10 years ago um at the disney parks things were kind of uh stagnant and the what really spurred disney to start making improvements and making and making the experience like a 21st century experience was the um the introduction of the hogwarts uh stuff at universals Mm -hmm. or the universal and so like you had this this brand new like over-the-top experience and and disney didn't have anything to compete with that and so they had to they had to go full tilt on things like, you know, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge and and um, and Toy Story Land and, and, mm-hmm. and things like that. So like competition, especially when when it comes comes to these things is, is great. It had been a shame if one of those corporate takeovers, you know, in the early 80s would have happened and Universal would have bought everything and and you wouldn't have had you probably wouldn't have had any of it. No. Yeah. I mean, who, who, you know, think about what, what we got, even just with Pixar, just as an example, um, uh-huh. through Disney. And, you know, would that have happened? Who knows? I mean, it's hard to second guess history, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a little, it's a little strange to look at it. You know, if the timeline had gone any different. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's like, you know, that, that second half of the 80s and into the first half of the 90s, um, you know, Disney was the powerhouse. I mean, there there really was no competing with them. You know, animation was on a tear. You know, the Touchstone stuff was, was on a tear. They had, uh, um, Katzenberg was part of the, uh, <clears throat> a big part of the uh, agreement that Disney originally entered in with Pixar um, because Pixar was their, their own people <laughs> at, yeah. the, at, at the time. Um, so they partnered up with them. Um, Disney ended up buying Miramax films um, it, during that time period as well, which that's a whole other can of beans. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they even owned the Mighty Ducks NHL team. Yes, they did. Yep. Yep. That's probably the most experimental thing they probably did in that uh, era. <laughs> and the Orlando Magic. Oh, that's right. They owned them too. Oh, I, forgot I forgot about, about that. that. Yeah. Well, um, the, the the mighty the Mighty Ducks makes sense because they actually had. Mighty Ducks movies. Although right. Orlando yeah. Magic makes sense too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anaheim and Orlando. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. the Disney the Disney company at this point, you know, based on what they were originally founded on, which was entertainment production, they're they're back in they're back in, you know, the the, the winner's circle. Um, but let's not forget the theme parks. Um because, uh, you know, and Eisner did not either, uh, because in 1989, the, at the time, t- named Disney MGM Studios theme park opened um, in, in Florida as part of the Walt Disney World Resort. Resort. It's now Disney's Hollywood Studios. Um, and at the time, it was a working studio, among other things. Um, so you could actually see things in production along with, you know, seeing Mickey Mouse. Um, they also opened uh, Pleasure Island and Typhoon Lagoon, which is one of the water parks. Um, they're also at that time, uh, Disney and Jim Henson actually went into discussion uh, to possibly acquire Jim Henson Productions, but unfortunately Jim's death uh, put the kibosh on that. <laughs> um, so, um, but uh, Disney Vacation Club, uh, the, their first resort opened in Walt Disney World in 1991. Um, Disney uh, launches their uh, publishing uh, company, Hyperion Books, um, and Hyperion Books for Children, and Disney Press. Uh, uh, yeah, the, the, they get the National Hockey League to expand uh, with the, the Mighty Ducks of Anaheim. <laughs> <laughs> um, Euro Disney, what it was called at the time, opens in Paris in 1992, which that was yeah. a, that was just it's was, okay now. It was a it was a bad deal. It was bad oh, yeah. then. It was a hot mess then. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that was that was kind of like Eisner's like first major fail. Yeah, I, like I just reading that level, reading that in the Disney words, I just I started to cringe. I'm just like, whoa, 
Oh. Yeah, yeah. If, if if you don't have time for the for the great big book, I highly recommend uh, the Defunct Land YouTube channel. Did a video on on uh, you know Euro Disney and just what a what a what a fluster cluck that was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and then sending one of their guys over there almost on a permanent basis to try to fix things, mm-hmm. and him trying to. Like, can I come back to the States? Yeah. <laughs> Please. Like, I want to go home. Yeah. This isn't fun anymore. Yeah. It never sure. was. Yeah. Just the... It kind of, by this point, Michael Eisner had, was kind of getting... Kind of believing his own hype. Um. Mm-hmm. And getting a little too big for the riches, but not yeah, quite. <laughs> yeah. And so he really, really wanted to do a new park, and he just really loved the idea of the the park in Paris. Um, and uh, you know, it's uh, it came uh, back to bite him in the butt. <laughs> well, when, when you when you have like you know Cinderella's castle or Sleeping Beauty's castle in a continent full of castles, yeah, uh, it's like it's like it, Eddie. I one of Eddie Izzard's yeah. stand-up things where you know talking about building you know the park in Paris and or in Europe and they're like you know wanting to build a castle and like they're going to do it a bit bigger. They've actually got castles here, <laughs> so. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to impress the locals with another castle. It's, you've seen one castle. Yeah. You've seen them all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, thankfully, Paris has turned around. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, it, yes, it has. <laughs> and now they have an entire Marvel-themed hotel. And if that doesn't desperately make me want to get over there sooner rather than later, <laughs> I don't know what is. I would go just for the hotel. Um, uh, so, but yeah, with the, with the Euro Disney, that kind of, you know, starts, things start to make a turn, not for the better, as far as Eisner being in charge, um, kind of the biggest, like, shift, um, was unfortunately happened because of the death of Frank Wells. Um, who was president of the company up to that point, but he died in a helicopter crash in 1994. Um, And, um, you know, it was just, it was, it just threw everybody for a loop um, Mm -hmm. because, you know, he'd been, you know, so integral to everything. You know, he'd come in when, when Eisner and Katzenberg had and without, you know, is as much as it wasn't the happiest of marriages <laughs> to use the mom and dad, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> metaphor that the animators were using, if it wasn't the happiest of marriages, it was working. Mm-hmm. And to lose Frank so suddenly and so tragically um was just you know, it just it just it it you know no pun intended it kind of killed the vibe yeah yeah know, killed the walls momentum because walls was kind of like the marriage council was like uh hey guys mm-hmm. yeah so no you know, he was let's a big... try it a different way yeah 
he was a big champion of the creative side, even though he wasn't like a creative uh, mm-hmm. person. The yeah. he the Imagineers, the animators, they had like Frank's support in ways that they didn't feel supported by um, Katzenberg or Eisner. Yeah, it, it felt like you know Katzenberg and Eisner they were the the administration, you know, handling all the big day to day stuff. They're not really in in the trenches so to speak with the people actually making the things but wells he was sort of the liaison between that and so it kind of greased a lot of wheels and got those big ideas actually made like like, you know you know but yeah once he was gone it was like you know eisner and katzenberg just didn't know how to relate to the people actually making the magic Mm -hmm. or at least that the the animators and such didn't feel like like they were being listened to so yeah it was that was a huge huge blow you know with with the momentum like you said rachel it's just oof Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and 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 not long you know that same year um after having this um you know like is is if you know mortality isn't you know Uh the, the the idea of your own mortality isn't like spotlighted with that then eisner himself um suffers a heart attack and has to undergo quadruple bypass surgery um and uh you know if, if that wasn't you know scary enough um because of you know because of everything that was going on by this point actually eisner kind of like started putting Katzenberg kind of more at arm's length um Mm -hmm. so when Eisner had to go in for emergency surgery Katzenberg was not on the list of people immediately notified Mm -mm. he actually didn't find out until he called Michael's wife to ask about something and she was like oh yeah I was gonna call you (laughs) (laughs) And after they were done with that phone call and hung up and Katzenberg just looked at his wife and he's like, yeah, I'm screwed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I, I, I be the low person on the totem pole now, much to my dismay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and Eisner had, had started making boobs behind the scenes. He called up uh, Joe Roth, who was the chairman at 20th Century Fox, and asked if he'd run the movie studios. Um, and then he met with Rich Frank, who was president at Paramount TV Group, and offered him television, home video, and the Disney Cable Channel. Um, and then uh, Roy would be head of, of animation and report directly to Eisner, not Katzenberg. Um, and then Peter Schneider, who was president of Disney Feature Animation Department, would run animation day to day. So essentially, all of those people report to Eisner, and Eisner would be uh, replacing Katzenberg as the head of those three units. Um, oh boy! Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, because Michael's wife wanted Michael to, you know, let's take some of this off your plate oh, yeah. and here he yeah, is. She was like, she I'll was all this. like, you need I'll do to do that. I'll do this. Yeah. All, she's like, your doctors tell you, you need to rest and relieve the stress. And he was all like, no, I'm living for this. 
<laughs> this is like the best kind of stress. <laughs> I'm just reading this and I'm just like, no. <laughs> it's like, I was just shaking my head as a food dummy. Yes. How is any of this good? Yeah. Well, although a lot of his stress was relieved when Katzenberg left. <laughs> True. Yes. <laughs> Uh, it took it took uh, it took because because really Katzenberg had saw himself as moving in to be Eisner's right hand man and right. potentially be Eisner's successor. Mm-hmm. And it, as as things went on, that was looking less and less likely. So Katzenberg went actually to Eisner several times. He's like, I want to leave. And every time Eisner would talk him out of it, because when Katzenberg was hired, the contract that he got, yeah, at the time, <laughs> everyone thought was ridiculous because they never thought that the payout that he was promised in his contract could ever come to fruition. Yeah, until he well, helped turn animation around. Their bluff. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't so much a bluff, it's just, I think they were just, like, they weren't, sh- they, I guess they weren't as confident as they thought at how successful mm-hmm. they could be, because they were promising him, like, a 2% bonus or something. Yeah. And they were like, oh, he'll never, and it's like, if, if like, if, pro- if, like, if profits reached a certain point, like, the bonus would be doubled or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, if he left, he'd get like a cash payout of a certain point if they made a certain amount of money. And even Roy was like, "Yeah, it's just it's a bunch of malarkey. He'll never get that payout." And then now they were get, making it got to the point where the studio Hand had surpassed <laughs> the theme parks as far as profits. Which remember when Eisner came in, the theme parks were seventy percent of Disney's money. So at this mm-hmm. point, the studios have surpassed the theme parks as far as profit is concerned, and they realize, well, whether Katzenberg actually, you know, goes until the end of his contract and we just don't renew it, or he leaves early, the man's walking away with a shit ton of cash. That we're gonna basically have to pay him. cue the Scrooge McDuck diving into his yes. pool of coins and swimming. Yeah. <laughs> so Katzenberg did leave, mm-hmm. but there were they had he had to fight them legally, even yeah. after that, and finally they reached a settlement for two hundred and fifty million dollars. <laughs> And then he went off to the, to uh, to create DreamWorks with Steven Spielberg, so <laughs> which was actually funny because because while he was still at Disney, he got a call from Steven Spielberg, um, just talking. And at the time, Spielberg was working; he was on set with, um, uh, oh crap, what's his face? Why am I blinking on his name? Uh, when they were working on uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, I think, is when he was talking to yeah. Spielberg. And um, uh, da, da, da. why can I not think of his are name? You, are you thinking about Zemeckis, Robert Zemeckis? Zemeckis. Yes, yes, Zemeckis. Yes. And Zemeckis was like hollering in the background, like, you guys should do something together. And He's like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Um, and then uh, Geffen called him 
not long after and he's like hey should i do something with steven spielberg and geffen was like i would jump on that so quickly so when katzenberg got released from disney he's like hey steven you want to do something let's create our company (laughs) bt dubs i know all the things that disney's planning as far as animation yeah (laughs) which is how we end up with ants and a bug's life released around the same time (laughs) Yep. And storylines vaguely similar. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Makes a lot of sense now. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. even, even when those two came out, I was like, wait. I, I uh-huh. mean, I'm, I'm trying to remember how old I was. I, I was at least 12, definitely a preteen, but I yeah. was just yeah, like, was... why are these two movies coming out that are the same and they're both CG animation? What's uh-huh. going on here? There, there was a yeah. while that like DreamWorks had some really suspiciously similar animated yep. Disney. Yeah, yeah. I think it was like a senior or freshman in college when Bugs Life <laughs> freshman yeah, freshman in college or senior in high school when Bugs Life and Ants hit the Yeah. Like really guys? Yeah. yeah. I think if I were Disney I would have called up Katzenberg and be like, um, we're gonna need some of our money back. Yeah, yeah. Right, hilariously. <laughs> Copyright infringement. Unfortunately, unfortunately, they didn't have the men in black, you know, brain, you know, wiping technology. <laughs> like everything you know about it we have in the works, just look at this right here. Blink. <laughs> it's like your name your name your name is Bozo the Clown and you've been you've been cleaning elephant cages for the last 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. So Katzenberg's out. Unfortunately, Frank Wells is 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 gone. Uh, Michael Ovitz ends up coming in, um, who was the founder of the Creative Artist Agency. So he was an agent. Um, comes in as president um, in '95. Uh, Toy Story is released, uh, which would be the first feature-length film uh, with with Pixar, the first computer-generated. Anim- computer animated feature film I can speak um, Disney buys ABC in 1996 for 19 billion dollars yep. because <laughs> Eisner really wanted to buy a one of the networks and yeah, it came down NBC to running for a bit and so yep. was cbs it mm-hmm. <laughs> ended up being abc because they would get abc espn a whole bunch of others um mm-hmm. which obviously worked out well um yep. so but then michael uh ovitz doesn't stay very long <laughs> um he ends up leaving in 1997 um and um uh, that same year disney enters a distribution partnership with pixar um animal kingdom park opens in 1998 um which i'll put a link to it in the show notes but there's an interview uh katie kirk interviewing michael eisner on opening day and talking about you know how it's you know, all about, uh, you know, protecting the animals and helping some of these species that are almost extinct and that sort of thing. Um, and she says something about, um, uh, you know, the cost, you know, they had, they had to, the, you know, building a new park at this point, building a new park essentially costs like a billion dollars. Um, 
So, and then she's talking about the, the cost of admission at the Disney parks. This is 1998. She's like, it's get, you know, admission to uh, these days is getting kind of expensive. It's like $45 a day. And I'm like, <laughs> oh. Oh, I wish it was that much now. I was like, it hey, really yeah. is. <laughs> That's a steal. Like, I'm pretty sure it costs $45 to park these days. So, <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> Oh, the good old days. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, so Animal Kingdom Park opens 1998. Um, uh, they announced the new park in and resort in Hong Kong. Uh, their first uh, cruise ship, the Disney Magic, is launched, um, which is the one of the three ships I've not yet <laughs> the four <laughs> the four current ships that are in existence although there's a fifth ship that's about to launch very soon actually so now i'm going to be two behind um so uh yeah so then the disney wonder uh is launched in 1999 i've been on that one um in the year 2000 uh bob Iger becomes president and um uh and um so and then 2001 um disney purchases fox family worldwide for three billion dollars that's in 2001 you can see where things are going um the Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah um uh two new Parks open. Uh, also, California Venture opens in February of 2001. Tokyo Disney Sea opens in September of 2001. Um, Tokyo Disney Sea, from what I understand, is like the best Disney park out of all of them. From people I know that have been there. Have any, I, have either you got Kevin, Sean, have either been to any of the international Disney parks? I have, I have not, but Tokyo Sea. Disney Sea would be, or Disney Sea would be the one that would be at the top of the list for me. Yeah, I've only been to uh, Disney World. Um, and I don't know if I really want to go overseas to any other parks. I think it'd be cool to go see them, but um, mm-hmm. I, I, right now, I mean, the only thing I really have any desire is to go over to Disneyland so um uh, can visit Marvel's. Uh, Avengers campus over there. <laughs> Every time I see pictures of that, I cry a little because I, I want to go so bad. I know. <laughs> Me too. So, but yeah, I, I mean, I think if I would go, if I were to go to any of them, I think I would go to Disney Tokyo just because it sounds very fascinating over there. Yeah, yeah. From yeah, it's just from what I understand that the the, the to- like Tokyo Disneyland is really cool because um, they, they've got their own spin on things. Uh, mm-hmm. They have some of the similar rides that put their own spin on things, but apparently Tokyo Disney Sea is just like nothing that you have seen in a Disney park right. as far as like the technology and the theming and stuff. So yeah, yeah. I just want to go to all why... of them. I just need yeah. to stamp all of them. Yeah, and that's that's part of the reason why I want to go to that one if I, if I were to go to, to one of them overseas, just because um, it sounds very fascinating that whenever a company or a business that's trying to you know broaden their uh broaden their reach into the international market that it seems like whenever 
you get into Japan or China or India that um, you have to um, acclimate to the culture and that you have to kind of adapt and adjust to make it popular for them and not, you know, have to have it to uh, be something that you're kind of imposing your culture on them, but you have to adapt it in order for it to be successful and everything. I, I find that really fascinating. I know they did that. Um, if you ever watch um, Marvel on Disney plus, they talk about how there was actually a really successful Spider-Man show in Japan. And it was really fascinating because when you watch the show, um, it's nothing like the comics. It's because the people in Japan that, were in charge of it they adapted it to be popular for um japanese culture and so you know people at marvel um was really concerned about it stan lee loved it actually it ended up being like really successful but you never really heard anything outside of japan about it uh, because they kind of you know kept it there and they didn't really bring over to america to show that but apparently it influenced a lot of stuff so it's just i find it sorry i just find it really fascinating to see like how they have to adapt a lot um to make it a popular thing in 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 uh in the, these cultures and it just I, I just find it very fascinating to kind of see what they've done to do that so yeah so you know despite the uh kerfuffle that was euro disney uh <laughs> eisner i think proved himself that he does know a thing or two about the internet you know being able yeah. to do stuff well, internationally the, the thing about Japan, as I understand it, is they are very open to, um, because, because they are so open with their culture, like, like when, when foreigners come over there, they want to share their culture, like when you have business, you know, you know business people coming over, they're like, you know, kimonos and tea ceremony and just all these things, and they want, they want to, 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 you, they want people to enjoy their culture so when you know disney comes and brings tokyo disneyland i mean they, there's kind of that a uh, little bit of reciprocity there they, they want to experience other mm -hmm. cultures as well that and it it's kind of really ingrained in yeah. their culture to yeah. to see those outsider things because in their history they were so insulated for so long until they opened up yeah um so that's that's kind of i mean and and, and that's a and that's a really big deal in in in, in japanese society and yeah. japanese culture which is well, kind of cool honestly yeah and I, I think a lot of that also has to do with the fact that the at least the tokyo parks mm -hmm aren't just disney they're actually owned by a japanese company yeah and ran by a japanese company mm -hmm. so um so you have people in charge that actually know the culture yeah, yeah. Um, unlike euro disney where just you know disney just kind of came in and like yeah eiffel tower who needs that look pinky mouse yeah mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh uh so yeah we're getting to the end of eisner's run here though with the uh moving into the 2000s um so um uh yeah those those parks opened um the walt disney studios park opened the the second park <laughs> i'm doing air quotes second park in paris <laughs> which <laughs> apparently is still kind of a flop, uh, but is getting uh, some much needed injection with Frozen, among other things. So hopefully that one can get off the life support soon. Um, 
Um, 2003, Roy E. resigns again um, as as chair. Uh, he resigns this time, as, you know, from a different position, but he resigns again. Um, this time, both as chairman of Feature Animation and from the board of directors, citing similar reasons to those that made him leave almost 30 years earlier. Um, and uh, his lawyer and business partner, Stanley Gold, who was also on the board, resigns with him and actually create a public campaign called Save Disney to try and oust Eisner as head and like there's you can there's a short snip up again i'll have it linked in the show notes a short video of roy um you know he's like if you're a disney uh shareholder your vote you know you're, you're more powerful than you realize uh, you need to vote to remove michael eisner you know <laughs> it's like alrighty. Because now we're in the internet era, so he's making mm -hmm. like websites and all sorts of things, like save Disney. Um, uh, so uh, uh, again, another attempt at a hostile takeover, this time by Comcast. Mm -hmm. um, oh, but they were shopping around. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> They make they bid fifty four point one billion dollars. <laughs> that You're didn't about, work. <laughs> about twenty years too late there, boyos. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, and then two thousand and four, also um, after a forty five percent vote of no confidence from the shareholders that spring, Eisner is stripped of his chairmanship and he's replaced by George J. Mitchell as chairman of the board. Um. They do end up purchasing the Muppets and the Bear and the Big Blue House franchises from the Jim Hunting Company for $75 million. Uh, uh, da, 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 da. Um, uh, Roy, Roy E. comes back again, uh, this time as a consultant with the title Director Emeritus. Um, and then uh, Eisner announces that he will step down as CEO that September and replaced by Bob Iger. And then Iger was the man in charge up until recently. Where he decided to hang up his mouse ears and move on. And obviously that is a discussion for another day, the Iger era. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you don't want to go down that, that rabbit hole right now about how, uh, how where things are at currently? Yeah, no. <laughs> we'll, we'll save that for another day. That is yeah. a discussion for yeah. another day. Well, just was... just in acquisitions. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Bob and Iger two. comes in and he's like, eh, theme parks, whatever. Let's just buy everything. <laughs> I was yeah. kind of surprised reading the Disney Wars what Eisner decided to pass on. And I was just like, and then there's always going to be something. Yeah. I was like, CSI. And then. When I saw the Lord of the Rings, I'm like, holy 
oh boy that would yeah. have been a different thing. I mean there's you there's know, like, always oh. going to be something that mm-hmm. somebody passes on and in hindsight yeah. you're like well that was a dumb decision but mm-hmm. yeah I think all things considering where we where it we are turned now out pretty darn good yeah yeah, yeah. I mean, well, with the, with as much Lord as I love Lord of the Rings I will take uh Marvel Peter Jackson day. yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah the, the the Lord of the Rings things Miramax wanted them to only do two movies mm-hmm. and they were like no thank you yeah uh, we need three yes yeah. but that is the that is speed run of mm-hmm. the michael eisner era at disney but i mean just you know the the things that he did while he was in charge i mean obviously we were entertained at the time with things like the little mermaid and lion king and if you happen to go to the disney parks during that time you would have been entertained you know so it's like i mm-hmm. you know i didn't go to i never went to the now disney hollywood studios in animal kingdom until 2006 so after eisner had left so i you know i didn't get to experience those when they were brand new <clears throat> but I have since then been able to experience them. And I, like I said, I've been on three of the four current existing cruise ships, which are amazing. I've been to Disneyland and California Adventure, not since the Marvel stuff has been added. Again, I cry a little because I've not been yet. I feel like there's something nope. seriously wrong with this universe, that there is an entire Marvel land that I have not been to. <laughs> You'll you'll get there. I know. Mm-hmm. But you know, for all of the jokes and everything, yeah, you, know, you talk to Disney fans about Eisner and his time, and you know, you're going to be people that are, are going to be like, oh, you know, he was awful, and they've poked fun at him, and like. Family Guy, we're like you betrayed the shareholders, you know. <laughs> um, I, you know, it's just I, I have no complaints really. <laughs> I have no it's complaints matter, over what he did. So, it's but a I'm, matter not, of, I'm not a shareholder making money off of dividends either. So, yeah. right. It's a matter of you know every you know it doesn't doesn't matter what you're talking about a company uh, a small business of uh, uh, any any kind of organization there's going to be ups and downs and where it's disney and it was such a public thing and like he was I mean, like we said he was i i just remember him like you know being front and center on so many things mm-hmm. and he was like you said he was the face of disney so you know when things started to to come apart and and weren't quite as good yeah whoever's in charge gets the blame rightly or wrongly depending on who it's you like that in sports too it's like a you know yeah. football mm-hmm. team does does really crappy a season do any of the football players get fired no it's the coach it's the coaches yeah, yeah. The, the, yep. football, the, the players might get cut or traded but the but they still have jobs yeah <laughs> mostly mm-hmm. uh it's yeah it's the coaches so it's you know he did a lot of good things he did a lot of weird things 
but at the same time it's like he took a lot of risks that paid off big time for disney and Mm -hmm. when he came in and the the company was you know people were trying to buy him out and trying to dismantle it and trying to do all this stuff they he he left it he left it in a much better shape than he found it and i don't think anyone can Mm -hmm. argue about that yeah no no one can fault him that at all And like so, having, yeah. have looking back on it with like I guess a sense of nostalgia, like you you were right, like he was like the face of the company, so you saw him introducing movies on Sunday night, on ABC and things like that. And then as you as as for me, like as a kid, I was born in '82, so like the the Renaissance the height of it was you know right there and smack dab in the middle of my adolescence. Like as he got older and things kind of went south, you you only ever saw like the positive michael mm-hmm. eisner and it almost felt like a divorce and we're like why don't we love daddy anymore yeah <laughs> yeah pretty much yeah he was dad and then eventually dad left but then we got oh, a new stepdad who had lots of money yeah uh-huh. or figured out ways to find lots of money to buy us really shiny things yeah. <laughs> and and honestly you know dreamworks had its heyday what have we seen from them lately that's actually been any good? Boss Baby? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Trolls? I haven't seen either of them, so I don't Yeah. Yeah, I guess my niece loved Trolls, but... Those are like the only things I can think of that are like but, IP, the current made... IPs with DreamWorks. <laughs> it, aren't they the ones that made How to Train Your Dragon as well? Or yeah, they have How to Train Your Dragon, which is like saying Nickelodeon has Spongebob and they have Spongebob. Or That's Shrek. It. Or Shrek, yeah. Yeah, well, Shrek hasn't, I mean, they, they haven't done anything new with it for yeah. a while. They also ten, have the Ninja years. Turtles, though. Nickelodeon does. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I meant. Nickelodeon has the Ninja Turtles, too. Well, yeah. They don't really do much. Well, okay, they do stuff with them, but they, you know, you think of Nickelodeon, you think of Spongebob these days, if you're not into the i try not to yeah <laughs> yeah i know i know speaking of betraying the shareholders <laughs> betrayal spongebob is still going strong yet they're canceling arthur oh. anyway any other, another, any, any other any other thoughts on on michael eisner and his tenure as he, the head he, of disney he did a good job. I think so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really can't complain. He did what he was hired to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, cool. All right. Well, Kevin, Sean, who wants to uh, be the uh, shameless self-promoter? <coughs> Well, well, we like I we like to say that Kevin's the brains and I'm the beauty, so Kevin can. Uh, <laughs> Sean really has a us. face for radio. Podcasting. <laughs> this is why we all do podcasts. Although you guys, you do do video for years, so y'all are brave, <laughs> very very brave, and you have the bandwidth apparently. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, my the place I live is fairly rural. I'm surprised. Like I'm surprised. Well, actually, a year ago it was terrible, but it's gotten better. Well, that's um, good. 
so yeah like if uh if you're listening to this now check us out on the caption life podcast you can uh you can find us at the captionlife.com and you can follow us on uh social media instagram twitter reddit facebook at caption life and uh give us a listen because we we like to talk about um cool cool stuff within the realm of pop culture and and how that affects us as as people very cool and we'll have that linked in the show notes so also if you like a good bromance you know Our wives tease us a lot about mercilessly. Yeah. <laughs> like there, there was one time we were coming up with our business cards and I forget what the phrase was, but we, we shared it to our wives and they're like, yeah, people are going to get the wrong impression about you guys. The number of, the number of um, people at Indie PopCon who thought we were a really oh, cute yeah. family. Cause <laughs> Sean and I were there with our respective sons yeah. and we got complimented several times, like in thumbs up, like, Way to go, you guys! Just like a modern family. When you guys were doing like group cosplay too, so yes, we, we yeah, were. we did. But people, yeah. people oh, thought we goodness. were we were a couple, and uh, and our our wives got a chuckle at that. Yeah, which yeah. I, I just I, went I with even... it. You'd be like, oh, thank you. <laughs> which, well, and we kind of did. Nice uh... to hear such good compliments in the Midwest. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I didn't even pick up on it until Kevin's son, Madden, was the one that that pointed that out i was just like oh i didn't even realize like that's what people were suggesting when they were just like oh you guys look great together you know yeah oh my goodness yeah Uh, i i I hear i hear you about the uh the the spouse feedback my my uh, husband he's he's an author He, he publishes indie and oftentimes he'll he'll run something by me and I'll be like saying, no, that that that's gonna get people, you know, that that's not gonna work for these characters. Like, do you do you want them to be involved? He's like, no. And I'm like, well, you better rephrase that. Right. Because <laughs> it tilts your head just the right way. It's like yeah. I'm telling you, people are gonna think the wrong thing. <laughs> yep. Yeah. No. At this point, I feel like um, like Sean is like uh, like the. I don't know. Neither one of us are Jay or Silent Bob, but we are hetero life mates. True. There you go. Yeah, it's like the, the more we do episodes together, the more we realize like we were probably would have been best friends if we actually grew up like yeah. near each other because we had like a lot of similarities and and grew up with a lot of things like uh like the superhero hideout one. We both said Ninja Turtles, and we didn't think the other person would have that one. And uh, what was what was the other thing that we like? There's just a lot of things that we just talked yeah, about. Like growing up, we we're just like, oh my gosh, yeah, like that that was me too. <laughs> like we have to purposely play devil's advocate on the show a lot because we would just agree about everything that we're right. discussing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, it'd be a lot of me too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like and, I agree. We're so we're so entertaining, our listeners. <laughs> and we and we end every Zoom call with no, you hang up. that's awesome well i don't know about uh the uh well i'll say 
some of us are in the Midwest, so hopefully the end of this, that we won't, we will not end the show with a Midwest goodbye and go on for another hour. Um, <laughs> and thankfully we're not all in the same place. So it's not walk everybody walking someone out of their car. I literally have video of Chauncey's family doing that. Like home video of like the family was together and some of them are leaving and they all walk out to the driveway to say mm. goodbye. <laughs> Somebody's getting in the car. And then there's another 15, 20 minute conversation after you get into the car. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So <laughs> like we're not gonna do that. My here. family, we take pictures and we leave vacation. So I don't know. <laughs> oh goodness. We're gonna try we're going to now. That here. Uh-huh. My family's like, we gotta get the kids to bed. Can we wrap this up? Exactly. <laughs> yes, and I heard a screaming child in someone's uh, background. That, so that would have uh, been mine. It's yeah. bedtime, and he's yeah. very upset. So no, we're not. We're not almost murdering our son. He's just <laughs> mad that he has to go to bed. It was he's his birthday. Sleeping. It was his birthday last week, and we had birthday parties all weekend. So he wants to play with his new toys, which I can uh, blame him. But it's bedtime. Go to bed, yeah. kid. <laughs> all right so, so apologies for that i tried to mute but uh it's okay <laughs> won't be the first time won't be the last no no indeed so, all right well so so chrissy can go put alex to bed we are going to uh, <laughs> sign off for this week <laughs> this is for me and Charlie saying good night this is chrissy saying good night from salt lake city this is Sally from Wisconsin saying good evening. And this is Rachel in Indianapolis, Indiana. Don't betray the shareholders. <laughs> Wait, we don't have any shareholders. Problem solved! <laughs> I grew up in Europe, where the history comes from. And, uh... Oh, yeah. You tear your history down, man. 30 years old, let's smash it to the floor and put a car park here. I have seen it in stories. I saw, you know, something in um, uh, a program on something in uh, Miami, and they were saying, we've redecorated this building to how it looked over 50 years ago. (laughs) People are going, no, surely not, no. No one was alive then. Well, we got tons of history lying about the place, big old castles, and we and they, they just get in the way. We drive, oh, it's a fucking castle, I have to drive around. Because <laughs> Disney came over and built uh, Euro Disney, which now and and they they built you know the Disney castle there, and then they, everyone's like, you better make it a bit bigger. They've actually got them here. <laughs> and then they're not made of plastic. <laughs> Listening to the Five Ish Fangirls podcast. You can find more episodes and information at thefiveishfangirls.com. Any and all books, movies, games, and any other forms of media mentioned are owned and operated by the respective copyright holders. No copyright infringement is intended or implied. If you wish to support the show, the easiest way is to leave us a rating and review. More ratings and reviews will make it easier for others to find the show. If you wish to support us monetarily, you can do so at patreon.com slash fiveishfangirlspodcast. All money goes towards fees and equipment to keep the show going. 
For official Five-ish Fangirls merchandise, visit redbubble.com slash people slash Five-ish Fangirls. We love hearing from our listeners and encourage feedback. You can email us at fiveishfangirls at gmail.com. You can also like and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash fiveishfangirls. Thank you so much for listening and may the squee be with you. Mm-hmm.